Hey there, my name is Pastor Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're glad you've joined us online to, for church today. And here's my question for you. What is generally your first thought when you roll out of bed in the morning or when you first wake up? Are you a morning person or are you a person that dreads the morning with everything? Are you a jump out of bed and tackle the day type of person? Or if I saw your alarm clock, would the snooze button be kind of worn away because you've pressed it so many times? Now me personally, I'm a morning person. I like mornings. I, it doesn't matter if it's a holiday. It doesn't matter if it's a Saturday. It doesn't even matter if I was up late last night. Generally, I'm always up around six o'clock or just shortly after. I enjoy the morning. I, I like the quietness of it. I like the sunrise. I, I like the thought of a brand new day, birds chirping, everything fresh, ready to go. Now, I also understand if you're not a morning person. If you're not a morning person, you hate people like me. You hate how happy we are in the morning. You hate that we want to play music and get our day started. You want to ease into the day and we drive you nuts. The thing is, what you think of when you first wake up can affect your entire day. If you wake up, even if you're not a morning person, but if you wake up with excitement or anticipation for the day, and you think this is gonna be a great day, generally what follows is it's a great day. Your primary thoughts upon waking up often determine what's, is oft, are often determined by what's happening in your life. They're also predictive of the attitude that you're gonna have for the remainder of the day. Now this morning, what were you thinking when you woke up? Did you think, yes, today is a church day, depending on when you're, when you're watching this online? Or did you think, eh, should I log into church today? Or maybe you thought, I like online church. That when this pandemic clears, I may just keep this pajama church experience going for a while. Or maybe you thought, well, I, I, like, I like online church because I can just kind of miss I could sleep in, get extra sleep, and I could just watch it in the afternoon or in the evening. But you're watching, and somehow you arrived here. What were your thoughts when you were logging in today? Now, maybe it's different if I asked this question way back in January when the world looked somewhat normal, because right now, for those that are attending our physical church location, this is the second week that they've been able to come into the church in, in months. And we recognize for those of you that are, are at home, you've made a decision that you feel is best for you and for your family, and we fully stand behind you, and we fully support that, distance, that, that, that decision. We truly understand. We also understand that for some of you, you wish you could be at church in the building. But just remember this, it's a season, and this too will pass, and we look forward to you joining us. We miss you. Now, for some of you, maybe you've, you realize now that maybe you took for granted, I know I did, took for granted the ability to gather with a group of people and worship God. Maybe you didn't have a sense of excitement for the church a few months ago when you were able to come to church, but now you wish you could be there so bad. There's a difference right now between our online service and our physical service. At the conclusion of the message today, there, we have a time of singing. We've included a video worship portion, but we know it's not the same. 
I, I know because I've been experiencing church the same way you have for the last few months. And I admit, it's hard. It's hard when not everyone is with you. It's hard to actually get and enter right into the worship song so that it actually feels like a worship song. Now, it's interesting. When we say things like, it's time to worship, or this is the worship portion of our service, we almost always tie that to singing. And because the Ontario government has passed down a recommendation that there would be no indoor singing for the time being, those that have returned to church aren't able to sing right now. So for many, they're feeling like there's no worship. But somewhere along the way, we got this idea that worship is exclusively tied to singing. But it's so much more than that. The word worship is more succinctly understood as worthship, to apply worth to something. The book of Revelation gives us this solid grasp of what worship really is. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This image gives us a truer sense of what worship actually is. It's not singing a song that we have been taught, but it's reveling in and being in awe of the Creator. And it becomes more obvious as you read through this that worship is less a verb, something that you do, something that you schedule from a, this time to this time. But it's something that you are. What you do in every aspect of your life reveals worship. It reveals the worth or the worship that you have for God. Today we begin a series that will carry us through the summer on worship where we look at the different aspects of how we worship God. Some of that will point to how we worship together or corporately, and some of it will point to how you worship individually. This morning I want to look at corporate worship, not singing, but the reason why we're coming together is so important. Today will serve as an introduction to this series that will last the entire summer of what worship really is. Now, for the past few months, gathering together hasn't been possible because of the pandemic we're living in. And again, for those at home, being part of the corporate worship service is still, still not possible for you. Maybe it's health or maybe it's other factors. We, again, we understand. And while online worship is definitely valuable, and we're so thankful for it, and we see a huge future for it as part of our church going forward, there is definitely this need in our lives of gathering together as well. So why do we gather as a church? Well, to answer this, I want to look at four things that are a paradox. It's, it's a statement that somewhat contradicts itself. Number one is worship is ordinary and special. For many of you, attending a Sunday service 
uh, was, is, it's normal. It's a normal part of your life. That's why for the last few months, this has been very strange. Many of you have rarely missed a Sunday in like 30 or 40 years. It's part of your weekly rhythm. And, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing if your kids don't ask the question, are we going to church this Sunday? Because they already know the answer. It's part of your family's rhythm. It's just an ordinary occurrence. But it's special. Because you may gather with other groups of people, but nothing will be like it is when you're in the church building all together. You, you discovered, so some, of, some of us have discovered that last week as we gathered. For those at home, you miss gathering with people because it's, you know there's, there's something special about it. Psalm 96.9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Do you feel yourself tremble in awe and anticipation still when you come before God and what he's going to do in this moment? Number two, worship is personal and corporate. See, being part of a worship gathering is very, very personal. How you respond to the music or how it's amazing, it, this, this one passage, it, this amazes me sometimes, even myself when I'm listening to a sermon, it's amazing how one passage will jump out and hit me right between the eyes, yet the person beside me just are completely unfazed because it's so personal. It's because how you respond and how you receive is very personal. We're constantly wondering, well, what does this passage mean to me? Or, or what did that prayer, how does that impact me? Or, or that sermon point, what does this mean in my life or my situation? And this is good. It's all good. That personal part of it is very, very good. But here's the problem. The problem is whether you realize it or not, our culture is pushing hard a value of individual customization. For example, if you order something off of Amazon, which, which I do quite often, it's amazing that when they show you the personal recommendations they have, they have your information and they customize the products they think you'd like to buy. And you look and you're like, I didn't even know this product existed, but I want it. Because they know what your likes and the things you've clicked on. Netflix will promote TV shows or movies based on what you've watched before. Spotify or Apple Music, they're constantly creating playlists based on your musical tastes. Your Facebook feed doesn't always show you every single feed. It looks at the, at the types of posts and the people that you normally interact with and prioritizes those. You are being conditioned to believe that everything should be custom tailored around you just the way that you want it. But worship, while it's about you and how you respond to God's prompting, it's also about us. It's not customized directly to you. Now, perhaps one day you can go online and you can pre-select the sermon topic that you would like before you head to church that morning. You can select who's speaking because, you know, this is the one guy who rambles on, Pastor Roy, come on. The color of the walls, you can choose that in advance. You can pick all your favorite worship songs. You can create a playlist of what's going to be played that morning. Maybe even you can pick your flavor of coffee you would like after the service. This custom church experience. The problem is you'd be the only person that's there because it's customized just for you. Now seriously, what it's a, while worship is about you, 
It's about us as well, together. And that's why the Bible uses corporate language to describe what this gathering is about. The Bible over and over uses language like temple and building and household, chosen race, ri- chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, and a body. Psalm 95.1 says, Come, let us sing for the joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Later on, the same, same book, verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before our, the Lord, our maker. The writer of the psalm doesn't pause to ask about what your preferences are. There's just this assumption that there's something incredible about a group of people worshiping God together. Let us bow down. See, what you need to understand is that while the church is made up of individuals, there's something bigger going on here. This is just not a group of your friends getting together. It's more than our personal preferences. This is ordinary and special. It's personal and corporate. Number three, worship is inward and outward. See, the gathering of people is so important. It's not just the music. It's the greeting. It's the conversations. It's the prayer. It's God's word, it's the music, all of it together. It's part of this spiritual formation process. And it shapes who we are. See, that's why it's been so important since the time that I got here that we incorporated our kids and our teens into this process. It's why we involve our students in multiple areas of service that some of them, honestly, were once reserved for just adults. It's why we work to create learning environments when the kids stay in service, that we incorporate them into what's happening, not just tell them to do some busy work until mom and dad are actually had their, their church experience. It's the reason why we removed the back tables, that we were just keeping students busy instead of actually engaging with them. It's the reason why we don't dismiss kids right at the start of service, but we want them to be part of what we're doing and get the example of what's happening. Because this is where the hunger for spiritual things are built within them, built, built within you. It's why, it's why we, we want them to learn the songs that we sing. They take things from the sermon, even if it seems like it's a bit above their head, They watch the interactions between people. They're sponges. They're watching everything that goes on. It shapes them. We're modeling for them the things in which we know they're going to love as adults. It forms them. See, worship isn't just an inner experience. It should create an outer experience. In other words, showing up for church and receiving all you can, well, it's just incomplete. Listen to what David says in Psalm 51. Verse 15, he says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Listen, listen to the, the message, the, the message version of the Bible. Listen to the ver- same verses how it's described. Unbutton my lips, dear God. I'll let loose with your praise. 
Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. See, when you come face to face with the personal touch of God, you can't help but be inspired and want to express it outwardly outside the walls of the church. The worship, the, your worship should be a life that is changed on the inside, transformed, a heart that is shattered for others and changed towards action. Worship and mission are firmly tied together. Worship isn't just about what you receive, it's also about where you're sent and what you do with that. And number four, the last one. Worship is unifying and controversial. See, there's something beautiful about people from all walks of life gathering together to worship one God. There's something incredible about watching people of different ages, different races, different upbringings, different experiences, different walks of life, different opinions, all coming together to sing, encourage each other, pray alongside each other, and worship Jesus together all through it. In this, in this there's this collective statement that says that there's something more important Something more powerful than just us as individuals. So when you see people set aside their preferences in favor of unity, it's awesome. But Sunday gatherings can be controversial. And the reason for this is, is we all have preferences. See, some of us like things the way maybe they used to be. <clears throat> Maybe when you were a teenager, you liked it back then. We don't like change. As some of us just, we want the good old days. But what we forget sometimes is the good old days weren't actually as good as we remember. Some of us like the King James version of the Bible. Some of us NIV or NLT or whatever it is you like. We have a preference at what volume the soundboard should be set at in the morning. Uh, we, have a, we have a preference of what the temperature should be in the room. But maybe the biggest point of division within the church in a Sunday, Sunday gathering over the years has been music. As someone labeled it, the worship wars. And it's so sad that the worship wars has caused numerous casualties along the way. Because let's, let's be honest, we all have preferences. But I read something this week that I found really powerful. It was a blog by someone who had to wrestle with their own musical preferences, their own worship war. And I know that some of you have had this same struggle. You've struggled a little bit sometimes with the music and what you, your preferences, but I love his perspective. I want you to hear this. He says, the, the worship at my current church has been hard for me. It's louder, newer, more electric than I like. It's much more charismatic than I'm used to. At least half the congregation raises their hands throughout the 30-minute singing time on Sundays, and often people are dancing and clapping and moving their bodies in emotionally expressive ways. All of this was far from my comfort zone when I started attending the church five years ago. And to some extent, it's still far from my comfort zone. In the early days, 
I complained a lot about worship. I could hardly bring myself to clap or raise my hands as everyone seemed so eager to do. It stressed me out. Sometimes I just wanted to retreat to a quiet corner of the sanctuary and pray alone. Yet, I committed to the church and committed to having a better attitude about the worship. And I began to see how beautiful it is to set aside one's ideal for the sake of building unity with others. And soon I began to warm up to the worship style. Well, while it's still a challenge at times, I now look forward to being refreshed by the Sunday morning worship experience rather than always being exhausted by it. I even sometimes raise my hands in worship, which, as a born and raised Baptist, is a big step. What I realized is this. We may have different worship style comfort zones, but we're worshiping the same God. That's why whether we're Presbyterian or Pentecostal, we shouldn't let our worship preferences get in the way of our worship participation. God is too glorious to not worship enthusiastically, even if the style of worship stretches us beyond our comfort zone. Now you might imagine that this came from a senior, but Brett McCracken is the senior editor for Gospel Coalition and film editor for Christianity Today. He is a millennial who describes himself as a lover of pipe organ music and Victorian hymns. Very different from his others in his age category. But it's this journey that has led him to a place where he saw the beauty in the unity rather than focusing on his own preferences. And he's right. God is too glorious not to worship enthusiastically. I've never understood why people hold back their enthusiasm or expression of worship or cross their arms or, or sit down when a song comes on that doesn't match their musical preference. See, whether that's a modern Bethel music song or a classic hymn, if the goal is to glorify God, why would we allow personal preference to hold back our praise? I have to remind myself of this, because that one day, I'm going to, or hopefully, I'm going to be 80 years old, and there will be a part of me that wishes that the young whippersnapper up on the platform would just sing a song like Waymaker, or something that I connect with right now in 2020. But I pray that I have the perspective that the song I offer up matters more to, of who I'm singing to than the style in which I prefer. I guess we can revisit that in about 40 years because by then I might be just a crotchety old man who is a complete hypocrite of what I'm saying right now. But over the years, the method of church changes. The mission must not. I heard a pastor one time say that we need to date the method but marry the mission. The method needs to change in order to be effective. How we deliver the message should change from time to time. How what we preach, though, should never. A perfect example of this is who we're preaching to. 40 or 50 years ago, there was this expectation that on a Sunday, you would be in church. The question would be, why weren't you there? Today, the opposite is true. The question is, why did you go to church? The likelihood is, is that you, when you pass someone on the street who is a young mom or a young dad or somebody in their 20s, 
There's a very good chance they've never stepped foot inside a church. There's a very good chance they don't know the basics of the biblical narrative. So that changes how we communicate. If we want people to come along on the journey that is following Jesus, we have to create on-ramps for them. We have to explain things that perhaps you already know. Because things like communion or even salvation. When I say the name David, many of you go right to thinking of King David. David the giant slayer. David the psalmist. But many of our society, when we say David, they're not sure if it's David Beckham or David Letterman or David Hasselhoff. That's what comes to mind when we say David. So we take a little more time. We adapt the language and the terminology that makes sense in their world. But we don't water the truth down in any way. As our culture changes, our methods have to. What you wear now is probably not the same that you did years ago. The style of music has changed. Things have always been changing. We just we forget. The important things need to stay the important things. But the trivial things, the things that really have no eternal value, those things need to be flexible. You see, I know that when we meet together, we can't sing. But as we're going to see in this series, worship is more than singing. There's a very personal aspect to our, our worship. But there's something that can't be replicated when we come to, together and pray, encourage, st study God's word, and sing together as one. There's nothing that we can do to replicate that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in the middle of this time, it can be frustrating for many of us. Because doing church or, or going to church isn't what it's always looked like. It's unfamiliar, maybe even slightly uncomfortable. But God, we were never meant to go to church. We were meant to be the church. And when we were, we were meant to worship, and worship doesn't always mean singing, although that's a major part of it. But the way in which we conduct our lives, the way in which we reflect your love towards others, in all aspects of what we do, that's true worship. And so God, may our life be a living and walking testimony of your grace and mercy and love. And may we worship you in everything that we do. Amen.